Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I was flipping through the channels the other day, but there was nothing good on. I had nothing to play. So I went to my computer and realized that there was so much content before my eyes. But there's nothing but Netflix in my heart and on my screen. There's always something that did I still have in Nothing But Netflix is back to talk about the brand new Netflix documentary, The Redeem Team, all about the 2008 men's Olympic gold medal winning basketball team. And here back with us to talk about it all, a gold medal winning podcaster. It's deserving. I don't think he's ever won the gold medal for podcasting yet. Here is Chappelle. Chappelle, how are you? Rob, I'm great. You find better ways to compliment me every week. I just, I just don't understand how I'm going to win the gold medal yeah. if you are going to win the gold medal. We both can't win the gold medal. Well, this was, you know, basically, you know, the we're building like this team. We were like, uh, you know, who could we get? We need to bring some bring somebody else in. Like, uh, who is the person that's really going to put us over the top? And then you were like the Kobe Bryant that we brought in at the, the you know, that that was really that was what we needed. We were floundering. <laughs> I was the spark we, weren't we needed. Living up to expectations. Mm-hmm. See, I'm I'm glad. I thought you were gonna call me like the the Darren Williams or something like that. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's cool or whatever. But 
Kobe is a good one. I, I will be the Kobe yeah. Bryant of this particular podcast. Yeah, I'll take it. Well, really, uh, the Redeem team, really a uh, a love letter to Kobe Bryant. Like, I, I do wonder if, you know, uh, you know, had Kobe Bryant not uh, tragically passed, would, would anybody even be interested in uh, this uh, Redeem team? I mean, it's, an, it's, it's a nice story, but it really, you know, uh, all of the archival footage of Kobe Bryant from that point in time uh, really, you know, is... Uh, uh, really incredible to watch. Yeah, you make a great point. Kobe is, in a way, one of the stars, if not the star of this uh, documentary. But I do think like there is definitely a cool story here. So regardless of Kobe passing away or anything like that, uh, the story would still be told and people would still enjoy it. But yeah, the added aspect of Kobe uh, and his, uh, you know, uh, you know, untimely death and, you know, yeah. horrible accident. He's like, this, this does feel very special in a way that it kind of reminds me of the feeling you get kind of when you watch the last dance, uh, yeah. you know, where it's like, it's like this big culmination. It's like for Kobe, I think this is, this is what we're going to get. We'll probably get other Kobe document, Kobe documentaries in the future, but for now, I think this will do. Yeah. And there's just, you know, so much footage of behind the scenes of uh, what was going on at that point in time. And they did so many interviews uh, in the Beijing Olympics and the lead up to that from 2008. So we'll talk about all that here today on the Redeem team. Chappelle, what have you been up to this week? I've been busy. I mean, well, this is the beginning of the week for us, but you know, mm -hmm. typically, like, I've been, I had been a busy week last week. Yeah. I went to the Bryson Wendell event. I tried to convince Wendell to come on this very podcast to talk about the Redeem team. I think he had been drinking or something. Mm -hmm. So he might have forgotten that he promised me. I, he didn't promise me, but in my mind, I was promised that he would come on, or at least we could get Bryce. Uh, we got neither. Uh, so yeah, it was a busy weekend, uh, a busy week. But I am very happy to have taken this time out. Watch this and I get to talk about it with you. Last time out, we talked about the Munsters with uh, Grace Leader. Kicked off uh, October spooky season. Maybe uh, some more spooky podcasts to come here on Nothing But Netflix. I sure hope so. It's October. You know, this is the, the tis the season. You know, when, if we're not talking about spooky stuff in this season, then what are we going to talk about? You know, like, when are we going to cover them? So I think if we can find something that kind of Halloween themed, suspenseful, maybe even scary, we can talk about it. I think this is the time. Okay. Netflix has a few of these ideas uh, coming up and maybe uh, we'll get to them over the next couple of weeks. But let's talk about the Redeem team. Uh, we first talked about this during a couple of weeks ago when we saw the clips of the Redeem team uh, produced by uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, among others. Yeah, produced by and starring those two people as mm -hmm. well. We get a lot of both of them because they were members of the Redeem team, the 2008 basketball, well, USA basketball Olympic team. Um, so I'm not shocked that they produced this. And it was really well done, I, I must say. I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to watch. I uh, went through it uh, real quick. It kind of flew by. It's about uh, an hour and 30 some odd minutes, uh, but it goes by pretty quick. Uh, I think almost every single person that was from the team uh, is appearing in it. I think you definitely got the sense that this team actually did uh, get along pretty well. Uh, it seems like that there was no sort of infighting. They sort of like uh, sort of imply like the 2004 team. There was a lot more problems, but it was seemed like that this group really did get along well together. 
Yeah. And I mean, we get into a lot of that later on in the film because we talk about how they really try to establish a a sense of teamwork and family for this particular team, because in the past they'd come across situations where they just weren't playing as a team. And because this is international basketball, a lot of those teams have been playing together for years and years and years. I think they said the uh, Argentinian uh, team had been playing since they were like 12 years old. And so these were players that were stars in their own right, but had never really played together. And the NBA very much lends itself towards being like superstars, you know, like you're the man on your team. And so they had to figure out a way to bring all of their powers together, kind of like the Avengers or like a Voltron or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say that I feel like um, the Avengers, I feel like that this was, um, you know, it kind of presented as like, okay, well, everybody was going to come together for, you know, this one cause of stopping Thanos, a.k.a. Spain. Right. Paul Gasol Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the big bad in this one. Yes. Uh, yeah, this was the redemption for a lot of losses that the the Team USA had taken over the years uh, because Team USA is not supposed to lose in basketball, especially in the Olympics. Um, it's just unheard of, but it happened. And it happened so much to where people started to question our legitimacy as a, a basketball superpower. Hell, they even changed the rules to allow us to like start using uh, like professional players when we lost. So it, it, this was us regaining or reclaiming our strength at being the leader of this sport. Chappelle, how much was uh, this a story? Like, uh, could you have told much of the 2008 men's U.S. basketball team story prior to uh, the documentary coming out? Like, do you do you remember it well? Well, I was I was young back then, but I do remember 2008 vividly. Now, I probably couldn't get put into context, you know, the the redemption arc. Right. The fact that we had to go back. Like I remember thinking, oh, yeah, we have to go win because we lost. Uh, But I didn't know all the trials and tribulations that got them here. I didn't know the lore behind some of these losses. I didn't know who all was invested in this loss, how much work they put into it. Um, So this gave me a bigger picture of that. But yeah, I think this was pretty common. Also, I'm from Houston. And so like basketball is like top of mind, you know, around that time, especially in the 90s with Hakeem Olajuwon being a part of the, the dream team and stuff. So this was very much uh, something we talked about all the time. And so it made sense for it to just be something that everybody just knew about. But this gave a lot more nuance to those conversations. I feel like as somebody who is much more of a basketball casual, like I remember more people being pissed off about the team that didn't win than people celebrating the 2008 team. I, I, I feel like I remember like there's just a lot of like news and like reporting of like, oh, what's wrong with the basketball team? We suck now. These are the best players in the NBA and they can't even beat all these other like Olympic teams. This is an embarrassment. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, Rob. That's no surprise, right? Well, that's what the media, we are the media too, but that's what we do. We find the negative thing and we yell about it. Mm-hmm. And then with something positive, you just say, oh, it's supposed to be like that. Like, And, and Team USA was supposed to be good. They were supposed to win. And so for them to get a bronze medal, it's just like, how dare you? It was almost, it was almost un-American in a way. Uh, so yeah, of course they were yelling about it. Uh, and then there was a redemption and people were like, okay, back to normal. You know, it's kind of like you don't get celebrated for doing what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. But if you do what, if you like are unsuccessful, people are going to bash you. And that's very much what happened. I'm sure those people had to deal with a lot of like stress and like, I don't know, they probably had to like really protect their peace and their mental health during that time. Because just imagine songs were being written about these people 
uh, every news station that it doesn't even talk about basketball was probably dragging them. I saw like clips from them on was it SNL and like different like uh, monologues from what um, like David Conan Letterman, and yeah. stuff like that. Letterman, yeah. And so they were just getting dragged and and just. Uh, I guess raked over the coals, if you will, uh, for a long time until they were able to get it back together. It put a, a lot of pressure on them. Uh, and so it was up to them to perform up to their standard that we expected as a team that had won, what, 14 gold medalists by that time? Gold medals by that time? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they had a lot to live up to, but they definitely caught some heat. Yeah, um, Miami heat uh, in a couple of years after this. But what mm. happens after this? Because I feel like the, the film doesn't really explore this. And 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 I, I don't really remember hearing a ton about the uh, following uh, U.S. men's basketball teams. Did, I mean, have we won gold in 2012, 2016, 2020? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. see, that's the thing. We do not lose in this sport. This is our sport. And so for for that like run to happen where we got a bronze medal in 1988, Mm -hmm. You know, and then like to get another bronze medal in 2004, it was like, this is blasphemy. I think we've only other, the only other, we've gotten one silver medal in the entire time the Olympics games have been having basketball and, yeah. you know, the United States. Be. So, yeah. So it's like, because of that, um, you know, I think what, there's only like one year that's probably unaccounted for. I think it's 80, yeah, 19, 1980 maybe. And I think that was the year of the, the big, uh, the, the strike, right? They were striking mm -hmm. because of Protests. the Soviet. Yeah. yeah, it was a Af yeah, the Soviet thing in Afghanistan or whatever. So everybody was like, we didn't even play that year. Mm -hmm. But if we play, we're supposed to win. And so, yeah, we continue to win. Nobody talks about it because we're supposed to. And is it still all players from the NBA? Like, because I, I, I don't remember uh, it being like a big deal. Like, uh, in like when they did the twenty twenty one, it should have what should have been the twenty twenty games. Uh, it that was that all NBA players. Uh, I don't remember the the complete roster. I'd be lying to you if I like, said or I did. Because I, I, I just kind of feel like that. Um, I, I just don't remember hearing like a lot of buzz about this. Oh, uh, about the, 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 the Olympic games. Yeah. And again, I'm not a big Olympic guy. So maybe people are like, Rob, you're crazy. Everybody's <laughs> talking about the 2020 men's basketball, uh, team at the Olympics. Mm -hmm, maybe. I mean, again, it's one of those things where you have Kevin Durant and LeBron James playing together. Mm -hmm. like, of course they won, you know, or at least they're supposed to. And there there's other teams that have put up good fights against the, the USA and, and even beat the USA over the years. But again, you don't have the greatest player alive and call him that if you don't expect to win and you don't have like, the greatest shooter alive in like mm -hmm. Kevin Durant. You don't, you know, that like we have these pe people who these other international teams look up to on our teams. They, they leave their countries to come play for us. So, of course, we're going to dominate. Or at least if you if we don't dominate, you're going to hear about it. If we do dominate, people are just going to say, yeah, business as usual. Oh, um, yeah. Now. Yeah. I'm just looking at the roster of the 2020 team that I, I feel like it's uh, not super like uh, top heavy in terms of uh, like the, like the biggest superstars in the NBA. Right. I mean, who's on the roster for the 2020 team? Is it like, uh, let me, let me guess. Okay. So you probably got Kevin Durant, of course. Yes. Um, I don't think LeBron played. Uh, I not. was talking about it, but I don't yeah. think he played. Um, if I had to guess, I think Steph was out too. Maybe mm -hmm. oh well, Draymond Green definitely played for sure. Yes. Um he's not gonna miss a chance. Um who else is probably good? The Bucks said just did a really good run. Maybe Chris Middleton. Um yes. and uh, maybe like Damian Lillard. I don't know. 
Um, um, yeah, those are the ones. If I had yes. to guess, oh, and Devin Booker. Those are. If I had to guess, yeah, or put together like a like a starting five, I think it would be like maybe that's the group: Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. Um, who did I say? Oh, um, Middleton and uh, Dame Lillard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that to you, that's I mean, again, I, I'm going as like a casual. I feel like, uh, like it's. It, I don't feel like it's all like like household names of the NBA. Well, there were a lot of injuries as well, yeah. right? So you have people like Steph Curry who just decided not to do it. But you know, because these players now are kind of thinking about load management and like how are they going to perform in the you know when the season starts back up, and they want to protect themselves. I I feel like if you're an NBA coach. Sometimes you can't risk these players getting hurt. I mean, imagine yeah. Golden State when Steph Curry, you know, if he gets hurt, um, they'd already have to deal with losing, losing Clay Thompson, who was injured at the time, too. But I, I imagine if you didn't have to worry about injuries in the, in the league starting back up, you would really uh, allow these like top stars to play. But even then, even with like, I guess you would say the B squad, if you will, we're still dominating. And that's the whole point of this documentary. Mm-hmm. OK, I feel like that, you know, if you really want to see like a, you know, uh, a, a new dream team. You got to, you know, we got to have like a down year, maybe like 2024, like maybe we don't medal. And then we come right back in 2028. And now, all, uh, you know, wall to wall, all stars. Don't medal. Uh, Rob, I'm sorry. You, if we don't medal, you cancel the sport. Is there, there's, there's no longer, there's no longer basketball mm-hmm. in the Olympics. It's like trampoline. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Um, it's like race walking. You just get rid of it eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, you completely change the rules if we don't meddle. Yeah. So, I, but I see what you're saying. We a redemption arc is what really gets people invested. Um, and we had a hell of a redemption arc mm-hmm. this time because we had to do with you know losing, but also 9/11 happened, and so there was a lot of uh, people being really patriotic around that time. So it was kind of like we had to put the you know, and mm-hmm. by we I mean you know the USA basketball team had to kind of put the team on their back uh, when it came to you know maybe like you know, instilling some more faith in, you know, the United States as like this world leader and this power because they were hated by so many countries. I say they, but the United States was hated by so many countries um, at that time. And so this was a uphill battle for them in a lot of ways. And yeah. so 2020 was just the culmination of all that, or I guess 2008 was. Well, this is the redeem team and they did have to redeem themselves uh, following the debacle of 2004 when the men's U.S basketball team ended up finishing with a bronze medal. Now, Chappelle, I was at third place. There's, that's respectable. There's yeah, nothing yeah, wrong listen, with third place. Some of the best people I know in life have won third place, and they mm-hmm. go on to do great things, including this team. I mean, the, the third placers here are great. Um, and so, you know, I think that this is a testament to how good third place can be, but sometimes it's just not good enough. Yeah, and so... Third place was not good enough. And it seemed like there was kind of like a rift with the 2004 men's basketball team where we had like a bunch of all-stars and then we had like uh, some some young guns, like some uh, some rookies that uh, were there, but where they didn't give them maybe enough playing time in uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron. Yeah, Dwayne Wade... LeBron James and Car- Carmelo Anthony were Carmelo. like the new hotness, yes. right? And they were reached out to as like the shining stars. These are going to be the next up in the NBA. You know, like we know LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, or depending on who you talk to, or at least alive right now. And um, it'll say like, uh, or active right now, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. But, you know, um, I think 
at that time it was like his rookie year. So he really didn't expect to be on this global stage like he was. Same thing with Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade. They were so young. Uh, but there were so many people who turned it down. They just weren't interested in being on that team. Uh, and like I said, it's post 9-11 world. So they didn't really feel safe um, going. I think what uh, Mike Bibby from the Sacramento Kings was probably yeah. on that list. Uh you know, Kevin Garnett, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of people. So this is the 2014. It's mm-hmm. um, Allen Iverson. Okay. Okay. Uh, Stefan Marbury. Dwayne okay. Wade, Carlos Boozer, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron, Amika Okafor, mm-hmm. Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, Tim mm-hmm. Duncan, Lamar Odom. Oh, big brother. Oh. I guess they talked about that on uh, big brother. Did they? I think they did talk about how he was an Olympian. I just remember him talking about the Kardashians. That's all yes. I remember him talking and, about. And Richard yeah. Jefferson. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but but seriously, those players were a little bit more tenured, if you will. Yes. And you had these young guns, like you called it. Um, but Rob, there were so many people who declined that year. Carl Malone, who was also very tenured, uh, was on that list of people. Uh, was uh, Tracy McGrady was on the list of people who declined. Uh, Kobe, Kevin mm-hmm. Garnett. Vince Carter. So you could have had a dream team at that time with those players, um, but they didn't want to play. And so, yeah. uh, oh, Shaq. Shaq mm-hmm. wasn't on Shaq the list. Didn't Jermaine, it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why they reached out to Jermaine O'Neal, but they did. He was mm-hmm. there too. Uh, and so, yeah, you end up with Carmelo, LeBron, uh, and Dwayne Wade playing with some people who might not have connected with them on that level. Now, the person that the documentary really vilifies as being uh the the heel of the 2004 team was Larry Brown. It's Larry Brown's fault basically because he had a system and he was going he was going to run a system. He wasn't going to basically coach to the players he had. He was going to fit some square pegs into his his round holes. Yeah, he had to let you know that he defines the team. I I created this, or at least this is what they kind of show us. And, you know, this was produced by LeBron and and Dwayne Wade, so might be some biases there. But they definitely said Larry Brown came in to prove that his way of winning was the way they were going to win. And it just didn't happen. Like I said, there were a lot of other factors as well, but they do lean into the fact that Larry wanted to trust the veterans uh, and ended up playing them a lot in those games. And it was very clear that had they played some of their, their younger uh, players, their bigger name stars that we know of today, you know, they kind of took, uh, took over that mantle. Then maybe the the results would have been different. I mean, Carmelo, Anthony, LeBron and Dwayne Wade could not have been happy with sitting on the bench during the Olympics. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So, after 2004, okay, we are a national embarrassment. You mentioned the late night jokes. Everybody is disgusted with the 2004 yeah. team. We lost to Argentina, Rob. I mm-hmm. mean, no, again, lovely country, but it was led by Manu Ginobili, who was like the most third, the third most famous spur at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, that's who beat y'all? Really? Uh, but they just had so much chemistry. They just were playing like a well-oiled machine, and it was something we were not ready for. Uh, Manu even says in the documentary that this is not a one-on-one like sport. Like These are great one-on-one players, but this is a team sport. Yeah. This ain't tennis, you know? And so um, the USA was hurt. We were embarrassed, and the players were, they, they were quite frankly pissed off yeah. because they had embarrassed themselves in a way. No, 2004 was a disappointing year for... All stars all around Chappelle. <laughs> uh, uh, elaborate. Many Rob. different, what are you talking about? many different collections of uh, you know uh, greats at the top of their field were put together, and it was just all everybody was just disappointed. And there's people that said, you know, like we got to not do this anymore. We got to rethink the whole thing. Uh huh. Is that what happened in 2004? <laughs> I think so that's I mean that's my recollection. Uh, yeah. you know, as yeah, I recall. Just- Justice for Jenna Lewis, you know, yes. she she almost had it. Right. All right. So we bring in Jerry Colangelo, okay? Jerry mm-hmm. Colangelo is going to be the architect of a, uh, how do we re- rebuild a new dream team? Right. How do we this get is, back to gold. This is our uh, Nick Fury, our Samuel L. Jackson character in the, in the film. He is the guy with the plans. So, uh, he has already been successful in other routes. And he, I think he was, uh, he had uh, owned the Phoenix Suns at the time. And he was mm-hmm. trying to figure out what he was going to do with his time and his money. And he was basically picked to run the USA Olympic team. And they, it, in the past, it had been run by a committee. And now they were saying, Jerry, you just do whatever you like. He basically said, I'm, if I take over, I'm going to do what I want, how I want. And so he would pick the players, he picked the uh, the coaches, and then he even established the culture. And so, uh, yeah, this was where we start the shift away from what we had known in the past to what the new era of USA basketball was going to be. Okay, so when it came time to figure out, okay, who's going to run the, uh, the 2008 team, he only had one person that he thought would be perfect, Coach K. Yeah, Coach K from uh, Duke University. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a very winning coach. So you yeah. love a you love a coach who could win, but there's also a coach who uh, has a military background. And so uh, he knows how to establish like a team or at least uh, working together, uh, collaborative efforts. And they were going to go into this as a team. And so they needed somebody who could be the general of that team. Yeah. How do you feel about Duke, Chappelle? Eh, like LeBron says in this film, if like uh, the kids from the inner city, they're not big fans of Duke a lot of times because you get like this very like uh, white polished team with their white superstars and they're yes. on here, you know, playing and they don't you don't really find a lot of inclusion in Duke historically. You know, when it comes to the star players, uh, LeBron said he hated Duke. He hated J.J. Reddick, too. You know, <laughs> I like LeBron. Yeah, you, you, you shouldn't have an issue with J.J. Reddick. Like, he's no stop it. But um, but uh, yeah, that's the kind of feel that I have for Duke, too, probably. Yeah. Like, I, I'd like to see like. 
like a scrappier team win a lot of times. And right. it feels like this team of privilege that may have may, maybe have been spoon fed these skills. Yeah. Uh, they, they are typically winning these games. Yeah. I, you know, have never really been a fan of Duke that I just sort of like have the association of a lot of the other sports franchise sports franchises that I uh, don't like uh, the New York Yankees. Like, uh, you know, not that I have anything against the Lakers, but like, uh, the Cowboys, the, the, Mm -hmm. the, I feel like that it's just like, uh, the, the people that are like the front runners, these are the team, the bandwagon teams they jump on. So that part of me has always been anti-Duke. Right. And it makes sense that, I mean, if, even if you look at the response to the redeem team, uh, after they had lost in 2004, people were like kind of on the in a way kind of happy about the downfall they they were living for the coverage they were making all the jokes everybody was going you know um, before going viral but everybody was getting their uh their their one-liners in and they were all over the place talking oh, about the tweets this thing. would have been Chappelle the forget it fire oh my god I'd be viral right now I just mm-hmm. I would mm, I would have ate it up but mm-hmm. yeah I think it's what it is like there's there's the the big boss and they're running things and you kind of want to see them fall you like to see somebody else take take over that uh that number one spot. And so Duke in a way is, is, is that person or that team for a lot of people. Uh, like you said, the Cowboys, I mean, the Cowboys have a ton of fans, but they have a ton of haters, probably equal. Um, and that's probably not the same for many fan bases. I know I'm from a fan base that most, most teams just don't care about us at all, you know, it, it, but the teams in our division probably hate us. Well, the Cowboys are hated universally, mm-hmm. but they're also universally loved. And so it's kind of one of those things where it comes with the territory. The Patriots are another one of those teams, mm-hmm. not to highlight these teams that I too hate, but they exist. And so I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I have to be a little bit more quiet about my feelings about Duke because I uh, live in the greater Duke area, probably, you know, not the biggest, uh, most popular school from like, uh, the people that, uh, I've run into here, but definitely, uh, we're in Duke territory. No, no, no. You can be a UNC fan and that is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people respect that, uh, you know, and they, and they love to see, like I said, they right. love to see Duke take their lumps. And so UNC, that's gotta be the team to do and it. NC you know, State. you got Yeah. You could listen, you have options now. Yeah. No, I mean, but those are like, you know, you go to like a sports bar, like, uh, you know, you're going to see, you know, the flag of each, each of those. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, it's the sexy choice. You know, you go to one of those cause like, Ooh, I'm not on the bandwagon. Like, Oh yeah, we, we root for a real team. You know, um, it's a sexy choice. You, mm-hmm. you could easily go with the bandwagon hop, you know, take all the, the championships that happened before you were even born Cowboys fans. Uh, but you know, this, this is a better decision. You feel like you're in the trenches with your team in that, in a way. Yeah. And so Coach K felt like, okay, we need to really like build up the camaraderie. And you hear the guys from the 2004 team say that they sort of just like got thrown together. Whereas the team that they lost to when they lost to Argentina, they talked about how they have been playing together since they were basically like, uh, like teenagers. Uh, this team has been stuck together. So Coach K is going to get set up in Las Vegas and have like a compound, which kind of blew my mind that the NBA players are going to spend basically are going to like pre bubble, uh, are going to spend like, you know, 35 days just hanging out with each other and practicing for the Olympics. Yeah. One of coach K's strengths is that he's a college basketball coach. And so with college basketball, uh, players, 
You only have four years a lot of times with them or even less. And so you don't have, you know, their entire life to build camaraderie or some sense of teamwork. You have a limited amount of time. And so this was the perfect person for that. Uh, And yeah, seeing them in Vegas, just kind of like spending time with each other, just trying to develop some type of kinship uh, was very weird because I was like, it feels Mm -hmm. like they're quarantining again. You know, Uh, it just... It was it was like almost like awkward to watch in a way because we just got finished doing that. But yeah, this is pre-bubble. I actually didn't know this though. This was brand new information for me. I didn't know they started so far ahead to start preparing for yeah. the Olympics. Now, this wasn't talked about in the documentary, but I, I was thinking to myself, you know, they're spending like 35 days together. And so, I mean, that's like longer than a survivor season now. And they're really getting to know each other and they're talking about how they're playing cards every night and everything gets really become very close with each other. Now, this is leading. I, I think this is like m- might be what 2006. Like, uh, this is uh, mm-hmm. pretty early on. Now, we know that I believe is it 2010 that LeBron has the decision, right? Mm-hmm. Where ultimately he and Chris Bosch are going to go to Miami with Dwayne Wade uh, and they're going to be the big three. And it's really going to change the history of the NBA. Like, the super team is born out of that. And this didn't come up in the documentary, but I just don't know like if if people talk about this, but in any way did the 2008 dream team really start to um w- like could you look at that as uh, like if if not for the dream team like uh, would that have happened? Like did those three decide like hey, we had so much fun playing together for the Olympics. Let's do this every night and let's like build this idea of superstars playing together in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, critics of LeBron will say he ran into the Celtics and thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? Right. And then they created this team. And this is pre super team, uh, depending on who you ask. So they will say that this wasn't a super team. This was LeBron being LeBron. This was Dwayne Wade already playing for that team. And this is Chris Brush being brought in. Um That's not the same as building a super team. This is not leaving your team with 90-something wins and going to join another team that beat you. Like, that's not that. Or or whatever, you know. So that's why... But this this was the first one. Oh, but listen, who produced this, Rob? This is LeBron. LeBron and Dwayne Wade are never going to be like, oh, yeah, when we all linked up for that Olympic win, we knew that we were going to eventually play together if the the, uh, opportunity presented itself. But come on. it's possible. Don't you think that that like sort of like puts like more of an impact on like, uh, you know, I feel like that you could sort of market this as like the 2008 dream team. If if, again, and this is just my observation as an outsider, I don't know if people actually look at it that way, but you could say that the 2008 NBA dream team, if this theory is, is accurate, change the NBA. Oh, what do you mean? That they got the idea of like all linking up and, you know, playing together, like putting the egos aside. Let's all let's all play. Whether it was because, hey, look what we can accomplish or, hey, I love being around these guys. I want to be every night with the the people that I enjoy spending time with. We can uh, function effectively together. And because of that, the, the first super team of like basically before that in the NBA, right? It was like, okay, well, this is this person's team. This is this person's team. Okay, we're going to coexist on on one team and do like we did at the Olympics. And then there were more and more super teams to follow. Yeah, but again, you'd have to get LeBron and Dwayne Wade to 
actively acknowledged that that is what happened, that they got together with this uh, and got this amazing chemistry. They realized that Chris Bosh was like, like a great player in that time and that they bonded with him. And then years later, they knew that since they were so close that they could play together and be a super team. The problem is that's not the narrative that people want you to believe. People What's want you to narrative? believe that. That it just happenstance, you know, that Le- Le- LeBron wanted to go play in a place where he thought he could win. Chris Bosh happened to be going to the Heat, you know. Uh, My and, version and that, is better. It makes them look, look like that we 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 love each other. Yes, but it also makes it look like they were terrified of the Celtics, and that is not the narrative you want for your greatest mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, and that's been a lot of the criticism about you know, like when people bring up. Kevin Durant, you know, going to the Warriors. Um, they say, oh, well, that's a super team. He, he went to a super team. And then people, the opposing side will say, well, what about LeBron? He went to a super team. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a super team. Stop mm-hmm. it. Um, and so, you know, I think for me, I don't have an opinion. So don't come at me about, oh, you're getting all this wrong. I don't care personally because neither one of them is on my team. Uh, and my team beat that super team in Miami. You know, mm-hmm. the Mavericks, we, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about Dirk yet. He's coming up soon. Uh, but yeah, um, I think you're probably right. I think that this is a great moment. And if they are willing to highlight it, it would go down in history as, you know, this thing that got the ball rolling to the teams that we have today. Yeah. Well, the team is getting close to each other, but they have to play like qualifying uh, matches. And it's wild that I feel like, you know, it's a 2008 Olympics, but you play qualifying matches in like 2006. Uh, So it's like, isn't that crazy that you were like uh, two years out, you have to qualify for... You'd feel like that maybe the team could be like in a completely different place two years later. Yeah, uh, they do the FIBA tournament, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, FIBA is what the International Basketball Federation Mm -hmm. and that tournament, if you win, you uh, immediately get like a pass into the Olympics, I think. And so they, I think they do it every, maybe every two years or so. And so because they do it every two years, you basically have twice to do that before the next Olympics comes up. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's how it works. Um, I could totally be wrong, but I, I think it's something like that. And so, uh, so yeah, they 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 had to play for FIBA, and uh, they lost again. They lost. So, there they you lost. go. They lost. <laughs> yeah. they, was, they were playing a different system. Uh, we weren't really ready for that. Uh, we didn't lose. Uh, the system lost. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there were yeah. some issues. Um, before before we get to how they rectify those issues, that also I felt like they, they got into where you know. Coach K had some like motivational tactics that he was using mm-hmm. to really get Team USA pumped up. Now, again, it's two years before the Olympics. Like how I like uh, I don't know how pumped up you needed to get them in 2006. I guess not pumped up enough. But th- there was this one point when they brought in a um, a, a a blind serviceman, uh, a man who had lost uh, his eyesight. Uh, that uh, he had like uh, there was some sort of like shrapnel that went through his eyes and he was blind. And then they had they brought they brought him there to to meet him. But and then they had him like uh, at the practice. And then they had was it Dwayne Wade had to like do like a like a radio play by play of like what was happening to explain yeah. it to the to the, ser- the serviceman. 
Yeah, he had his headset on. Yeah. The way it was kind of just like letting him experience the game in a way that he hasn't been experienced since his accident. This was him repaying this man for his service. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, when it's something about the the Olympics that makes everybody a little bit more patriotic. Like, sure. I'm not very patriotic myself, but when it comes to the Olympics, I, I'm always rooting for us. What are you talking about? We need to win. And that's in any sport. Um, and I think this was one of those times where they had to really connect with why this is so important to, you know, USA basketball. Like, it's not just a basketball game. This mm-hmm. is the United States that you're putting up uh, and hoisting above everybody else and on the on the top of the uh, the podium. And so they needed this person to come in and Coach K, you know, he has a connection to the military, uh, but they needed sure. this person to come in and make them really feel the gravity of the situation. It was just wild to me, though, that they had like, OK, well, OK, Dwayne Wade, like we know you're you're, you're a basketball player, but now like you have to be an announcer now. Like uh, it wasn't like that they brought in like Marv Albert to like, as a special treat, like, uh, here's like, we brought in announcers to tell this man what was going on. It's like, okay, no, Dwayne Wade, you have to call the action. Put you in a different, a different headspace. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but that's pretty cool. You know, you could get a regular announcer to do something like that, but to get, you know, a huge mega star like that, you're like, okay, you know, how often do you get to talk to Dwayne Wade? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Then they realize, okay, we need somebody else. Okay, we need somebody else to be on this uh, this redeem team, and they go out to Kobe, and now Kobe has all sorts of baggage uh, that they uh, like um, that they bring up of like all the different reasons why Kobe would not have been good for uh, the for this team. Uh, all sorts of different uh, issues now. They uh, say like hey, he would never it would never work out with Kobe. Yeah, they had a lot of obstacles here, Rob. So, of course, they were looking back at their competition in the FIBA tournament and trying to figure out why they lost. Right. And there's just so many international rules that are just different mm-hmm. in the Olympics than they are in the United States. And so they were saying, like, you have to learn how to play international ball. Like you can't, uh, you can't, you can touch the ball. Like gold sitting isn't really a thing. Like you can touch it off the rim. Um, you know, the game is shorter and the court is smaller. There's a lot of things going on. Defensive three seconds isn't a thing. The ball uh, has more panels. And it does. And so they were looking for, you know, getting a feel for that. But they also needed some veterans. And Kobe Bryant is actually, uh, you know, a person who has lived overseas for most of his life. Um, And so he's familiar with international basketball. And he also has played on a team before. And so they wanted to bring in Kobe. Now, the issues with Kobe, obviously, at the time, um, him and Shaq had been beefing. And so it was like basically the narrative around Kobe was that he wasn't much of a team player. Kobe was out to get his. He was selfish. He demanded these trades and he went back on the trades. It was a lot. And so Kobe, I think, was trying to redeem himself in a way, too. Right. So this was his chance to show that he could play with everybody else, that he could be a team player. Um, And it's Kobe Bryant. He wants to win. So this is an opportunity for him to also get a little glory and some shine here as well. Yeah. And so they say about Kobe, you know, he, he basically had nobody knew Kobe. Kobe had like no friends in the league. Uh, like nobody really knew how to act around Kobe. They thought he's kind of like a uh, reclusive. Nobody can get along with him, but they say, he, you know, Kobe changed the vibe of the team. Yeah. Cause he's hyper competitive. Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant came in in a way that you would probably see Michael Jordan come in where yes. it's like, I, I understand that y'all are all friends, but I do not care. You know, that is not why I'm here. I would like to win the game. And you had a lot of, like I said, these were younger players, you yes. know, most of them younger than Kobe. And so they're coming in thinking, it's our Olympics. We're the redeem team. We've been practicing together. We're all friends. Let's go out. Let's have fun. And Kobe is working out. Kobe is 
uh, no nonsense. He's not even sitting with the rest of them a lot of time. Uh, and so, yeah, they were able to look at Kobe and kind of see that Mamba mentality and try to hoist it as their own, you know, and say, like, okay, now he has that. How can we get a little bit of that? And then we'll have that winning spirit. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the comparisons with uh, Kobe and Jordan are so interesting because I think that there's a, a lot of similarities there, especially like uh, with the mentality. And, and we got to see a lot more of uh, Jordan like behind the scenes from The Last Dance. And I think when Kobe like first came into the league, I feel like that, you know, that they tried to like pre present him like kind of like, um, you know, a, a Jordan type, but you know, after, you know, uh, Kobe has, you know, uh, his, uh, legal issues that, that come up. Um, like, I feel like that Kobe is sort of like, uh, you know, I feel like Kobe ultimately like, uh, is kind of, kind of like reborn. I feel like almost like in professional wrestling where, you know, he kind of adopts like the Mamba character of like, he, like he goes heel, I feel like almost, uh, to like, uh, change his image, uh, like, uh, in the back half of the aughts. Yeah, but I think going heel was what people wanted from Kobe eventually. You know, it's like, if you are the bad guy, be the bad guy. Be the baddest person on the planet. And they wanted that from Kobe because it's exciting to watch. Um, yeah, I think Kobe and Michael are probably like, you know, hand in hand, you know, like two are the most competitive people we've probably ever seen play basketball. Like LeBron James is very competitive, but I don't think you get the same type of reports that you get about Michael and Kobe um, that you would get about LeBron, right? People talk about how likable LeBron is. Uh, I'm not even sure people liked Michael Jordan. Like they like the idea of him. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like people uh, were not always the most complimentary of his personality. They just liked that he could win. And I think a lot of that is in Kobe as well. I think we talked about the last dance a little bit in the past, me and you, and I was like, Michael Jordan's like a textbook Enneagram three. Like, it's just like, he's just yes, winning and that's yes. it. I think, I think Kobe is that too, you know, like maybe mm -hmm. it's like a three wing two versus a three wing four. And, you know, I think, but they are, they are oh, both like hell bent on winning. No, this is so interesting. So that should a perfect basketball team be like a certain, like Enneagram, do you want to have like certain Enneagram types, like to fill out the roster? Uh, I think you need a variety. I think you really do because no, no Enneagram type is going to make you a better basketball player, but there are going to be vibes that you get from certain players based off of the way they mm -hmm. react to the world that, you know, will shape the team. Right. And so it's all going to be about chemistry. Um, Magic Johnson is a seven and I mean, they call him magic for a reason. Right. Um, and so that's a great basketball player. Now, do you want Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant on the same team? Probably not. Um, I mean, Skill-wise, yes, but personality-wise, maybe not. And so uh, that's something to think about, too. What was but Shaq? But it is an interesting conversation. I, was, I think Shaq's a seven, too. I think, okay. Oh, he's either a seven or eight, yeah. yeah. But again, look at that. If You if, <laughs> uh, you had Kobe and Shaq on the same team, and they it were successful, but they weren't happy, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, and they talked about how, like, uh, you know, the guys would go out and be up late, and then, like, in the morning, like, uh, Kobe would be, like, back in the gym. Uh, and so, it was just having, like, his seriousness around, you know, they didn't want to, you know, look bad in front of Kobe. And so, uh, he really did, like, change the work ethic of the team. Now, there was a lot of talk during the time of, you know, who's the best player that's there? Is it Kobe or is it LeBron? Yeah, and that's another reason why they had to 
uh, really focus in on Kobe's mentality here because Kobe came in as what people like as the person these people looked up to. You know, many of them watched Kobe and then they went to the NBA. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, want to impress Kobe Bryant. This is Kobe Bryant. Um, but you also have LeBron James, who is uh is like one of the greatest athletes, you know, just like physically, he could probably do whatever sport he wanted to do. Um, and he chose basketball and he's doing great at it. And at the time, yeah, there were conversations about, is this the king of basketball? Is this the GOAT? Um, to this day, people are still debating who's better, LeBron or Kobe or even Michael Jordan. Uh, and those debates go whatever way you, wherever your, where your bias is leaning. I think um, like statistically, I think it's still Jordan. But, um, mm -hmm. but I think there's arguments to be made in any direction. So don't come at me with your stats, uh, Alexander Chester. I don't need that. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, at the time it was like, well, who's better? Kobe or LeBron, and those two people even had to come to terms with that. You know, they're sitting mm -hmm. across from their natural, uh, I guess, enemy in a way. Like, this would be a competitor against you, but because they're trying to build this team aspect, there's no room for y'all to be competing against each other. Each other, Y'all have to work together, uh, you know, combine your powers, and make Captain Planet, all that good stuff for the greater good. Yeah. Kobe talked about he didn't know LeBron was so funny. Yeah, well, Kobe never laughed a day in his life before he met LeBron James, apparently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's like, he's like, this guy doesn't stop. And LeBron's like, I'm not that funny. I'm not a comedian. Kobe just is somebody who really wanted somebody to make him laugh. I mean, probably the most entertaining person that Kobe's ever, ever played with is Shaq, and he hated him. So, you know, uh, well, I won't say he hated him, but they mm -hmm. had their problems. So, yeah. yeah, I think it was a breath of fresh air for, uh, for Kobe Bryant. And I think him loosening up really did ingratiate him into the team a little bit more. I mean, I feel like LeBron like hosted SNL after his rookie year. I feel like he did he host the ESPYS also like around mm -hmm. the time. Like I feel like that there was a point like early in LeBron's career where you know he was really like doing a lot of things of like uh, you know comedy sketches and stuff like that. Now the Space Jam Two comes much later. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not saying LeBron ain't a three, but he might be two, you know. But it's just like, again, it's just not the same vibe you get from Kobe uh, and Michael Jordan. Uh, but yeah, LeBron is a charismatic guy. You know, mm -hmm. people want to be a lot around him. People want to be like him. And so even Kobe was kind of drawn to his magnetism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we uh, also hear about Dwayne Wade. I think people thought he was not going to play. He was, uh, he was hurt. Comes back. Yeah. He well, he hurt his knee and his shoulder, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And but the, and like in like now in in this America in 2022, oh, there's no way uh, he would play. There was just no way because they would say this is not the most important thing. Your team is the most important thing. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to sit the uh, the Olympics out. I already talked about some of the people who missed the last Olympics. You know, it's because why would we why would we potentially hurt you or even more to where you can't perform for the team that's actually going to be paying you a lot of money uh olympic uh athletes don't get paid a lot uh medalists don't get paid a lot it's not a thing that like you can go and get like rich off of a lot of times uh so we need you for our team and we're paying you to do that. Uh, now, back then, they put three years of prep into this. Uh, Dwayne Wade was not going to not play, especially because he had just made this best friend in LeBron James and in Chris Bosh. And later on, we're going to play together. Uh, I think your conspiracy theory might have some like mm -hmm. some truth to it on that, uh, on that account. But yeah, he didn't want to miss out. Yeah. Now, the only thing that I question here of like with, you know, produced by Dwayne Wade, produced by LeBron James, you know, uh, how how bad was it for Dwayne Wade, where that he like uh, risked it all to come back and play in the uh, 2008 Olympics? Um, yeah, you know, so like, there's some creative license that is probably due when you get to make up, you know, a, a whole entire documentary, right? But I, I think it was very. It, I was looked at at the time as like 
I think it was season ending at the very least, right? And so, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. looking at Dwayne Wade's uh, Wikipedia, and so mm-hmm. he missed 31 games in the 2006 uh, 07 season. In the 2007 playoffs, um, that uh, the Heat were swept in the first round by the Bulls. Then he underwent a pair of surgeries to repair his dislocated uh, left shoulder and left knee. Uh, it was proved successful but he has a knee ailment called jumper's knee uh, prevented him from joining the USA basketball Olympic qualifying tournament over that summer. So, Mm -hmm. um, so he missed the summer of uh, 2007. Yeah. And you said he'd already missed 31 games prior to that. So this is probably a situation where it felt like he could, uh, you know, hurt himself even more. And he had knee pain through the 07, 08 season. So, yeah. but, but he played all of like 2007, 2000, like uh, 2007, 2008 season. Yeah, but they weren't good. Yeah, they you weren't know, good. The heat, the, the heat sucked. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that was a lot of the story of that as well. Like if, Le- if Dwayne Wade was at his full capacity, would they have been so bad? Um, so, you know, again, he's telling the story here. So if mm-hmm. he says that it was a fight for his life to get back to this Olympic team, then that's just what we have to go with. Okay. We also spend a lot of time uh, setting up the what happened in 1972. Chappelle, did you know this story? Uh, the story about how we uh, were robbed of this uh, gold medal, apparently. Yeah. No, I don't think I, I was. I, this was brand new information for me. LeBron said he didn't know it until until he found out about it that uh, that year. So, nope, I had no clue this happened. Yeah. And so that I don't really know exactly what happened, uh, but it was the U- USA versus the USSR. And they were playing mm-hmm. for the championship game. And then, um, can you explain the, the scandal at the end of the game? Yeah. So, uh, I believe during the game, like, um, the, um, the, was it the Soviets? They, they were leading um, the game, like, very on. But again, this is our sport, so we're supposed to be, like, winning. And so, um, I think it was one of those things where, like, they were like, it was kind of getting chippy. Uh, and then there was a couple of people, I, I think got disqualified for protesting from the bench and like some certain things were happening. So it was one of those games that was already like, uh, like kind of, um, I guess people were on edge. Right. And so it gets down to the last minutes and like with three seconds left. Um, is it Doug Collins? Doug yeah. Collins, Doug yeah. Collins. Yeah. Like he, he, uh, he does this thing where he does like, um, like he was getting ready to shoot a free throw and then um, like they blew the horn and it was like this whole thing. And then like basically they had to put more time on the clock. Um, and then when they put more time on the clock, the USSR was able to pass the ball in and basically make a buzzer beater winning the game 50 to 49. Mm-hmm. And so it was like this, um, this huge controversy about the inbound play and stuff like that. And I think uh, the U S ended up protesting about it. Like there was, it was a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the only time that USA had not won the gold medal. And so like, that's really like uh, a, you know, a bad mark on our records prior to 2004. And so, yeah, they, they told the story about that and everybody like uh, got like really emotional about like, Hey, Hey, we got to do this for 72. Yeah. Well, for one, Doug Collins is right there. You know, he showed yeah. up to and, tell and the Chris story. Collins, his son was also part of the coaching staff. Yeah, exactly. So this this feels very personal because in the past they've been told that oh the USA had only lost a couple times, but to find out that it could have been stolen from them, you know, stolen valor they call it. Um, you know, I think that's what made it a little bit harder to swallow. They also end up having Doug Collins there and Chris as well to kind of 
personified that exact exact loss and to be able to express you know like why this means so much and so between that and all the the military veterans and the speakers that coach k was doing oh, dear god they had so many people at this point like really pushing for them yeah yeah to to motivate them to go do amazing things in the olympics yes one last thing to get motivated let's watch marvin gay sing the national anthem Woo. all right listen I mean, if don't nobody else do it, then it'll be Marvin Gaye singing the, uh, the national anthem. I think this was uh, pretty fun for me to watch, too, because uh, Marvin Gaye has probably what like a top two national anthem of all time, um, like depending on who you who is your preference. What's is. number Mar- one, Marvin. Whitney Houston? Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Whitney yeah. or Marvin Gaye. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Right. But uh, again, it's something about, you know, being African-American or, or black in America or whatever you might want to call it, um, where it's like you know that, you know, this is a country that you have like this real story of just like uh, turmoil with and coming to terms with, you know, like slavery and all these other laws that have been against you. And people in the past still found ways to be patriotic, still found ways to make America like for them. And you get to this point, this is post 9-11, you get to this point where it's like, man, you know, is this country for me? You know, or am I just playing basketball because I'm a basketball player? Or am I playing for the USA? And you have Marvin Gaye singing the Star Spangled Banner. And you're like, that, that's not the same time when I heard the Star Spangled Banner. Like when Marvin was singing, he ain't singing about what I was singing about, you know? And so I think when you hear it, you're like, man, this means a lot to the people who sacrifice. There are people who dripped every day of being a U.S. citizen and they were looked at as less than a person. And here we are, like, you know, and, uh, so privileged to be able to not stand for the national anthem if we don't want to, or, you know, um, to be able to go play basketball overseas and to be these uh, world-class superstars that they are. And you're just like, man, that's such a blessing, right? And so, like, although I'm not like a, oh, I, the national anthem is the best thing that I've ever heard, like, it really don't slap like that to me. But in the moment, like, you can appreciate appreciate it for what it means to people who have uh, been through so much for this country and in this country. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, you just don't want to be a part of the land of the free and the home of the brave. You want to be equal to it, like to all the rest of people. Like I want to be a part of this, like everybody else is. And that just, there was a longer journey for many people. And so I think that's one of the, like the last tipping points where you're like, yeah, if you didn't feel it now, you feel it. Yeah. And Dwayne Wade is the person who uh, really like uh, gets that across in the documentary. And I thought that that was like one of the, one of the best parts of the whole film was uh, like Dwayne Wade going through like uh, he, you know, his complicated feelings about representing America in the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, as I look at that as like even people in the military, you know, so like there were so many people, uh, you know, in history that have I, I, they were, you know, in the time of segregation and, you know, and all this other stuff. And they went to war and then they came back and they were still looked at as less than, you know, it's like, man, people are dying for this country and then living to be, you know, discriminated against a lot of times. So it's like, why would I want to give myself to that? But there is something beautiful about like, no, we made this country, too. We, you know, on the backs of many of our ancestors. And so we should respect what they have made. And I think that was just a moment where they can reflect on it. So they're not like, oh, this is the best thing ever, the national anthem, but they are kind of coming to terms with what it means to be an American for them. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go to China. 2008, site of the Summer Olympic Games. And so they go there. And, you know, we are going to like attend the opening ceremonies and everybody has a Kobe mania. Everybody loves Kobe. Yeah, in China. Kobe's like, uh, he's, he's like Michael Jackson. And I mean, I mean, I say that, but I really, I really mean it. I didn't know mm-hmm. people were like fainting at the sight of Kobe Bryant. Everybody's crying and screaming. Kobe was so famous. Rob, this must be how you feel like in New York, right? When you just like wandering sure, the streets. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Or at least at these survivor events. Now, Rob, mm-hmm. I've seen you, I've seen you work in the room and it is very similar to Kobe mania. <laughs> So, yeah, that was relatable. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely do. But um, what was that just said Kobe had won uh, so much with the Lakers? Like, it, it's interesting that he was so much more famous than anybody else. No, this is Kobe. Like I said, he he is synonymous with winning and everybody likes to win. Um, nobody like it's just it's just what it is. And so the same way Michael Jordan probably had the international appeal that like Kobe was yeah. the guy at the time, um, you know, even in Kobe's death. I mean, just seeing so sure. much uh, outpouring of love for him. It was like it wasn't a surprise to me because it's just the impact that Kobe had. Mm-hmm. OK, um, everybody is, uh, you know, just, uh, so excited. They're there. Everybody's there. We get to our, our games. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have that, the scene that was in Tanum. Okay. Where we are going to play, they play their first game against Spain. Ironically, the team that they're going to play, uh, for the gold medal at the end of it. Uh, and you know, uh, Kobe and Pau Gasol, uh, were teammates. From the Lakers. And uh, they were, you know, of course, like, uh, you know, uh, like, I wouldn't say good friends, but, you know, they're they're on the same team. And as soon as the game starts, Kobe, like, runs right through Pau Gasol. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, Kobe and Powell are really good friends. They're like, they're like brothers. I think Powell is mm-hmm. uh, Kobe's uh, kid's gr- uh, godparent, you know, and like he's been looking after Vanessa after all of this as well. Like, it's just that is Kobe's family for all yeah. intents and purposes. Um, and yeah, this is Spain that he's playing against. Now, his, one of his favorite people in the world is on this team. But he also is Kobe Bryant. He wants to win. Uh, so this is not the first game they play at the Olympics, uh, but it's like the first one that they, that matters to them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because I think they'd already like beat Greece by like 20 points and like a yeah, couple other teams. Yeah, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Yeah. So they had uh, beat China 101 to 70. They beat uh, Angola 97 oh. to 76. And they beat uh, Greece uh, 92 to 69. Nice one. And then, uh, <laughs> the, the, and then that was their game against Spain. Uh, yeah. the, to, and they really like uh, put a uh, the the beatdown on Spain in that one. It was one nineteen to eighty two. They demolished them, and it's mm-hmm. very impressive because you you remember a lot of NBA players are now playing for these international teams. I mentioned Dirk earlier, but you don't get uh, like 
Dirk on uh, the U.S. team playing for this, uh, playing in the Olympics for a different team, Manu playing for a different team or uh, for a different country, right? Like in the beginning. But ever since they opened the NBA up uh, as like professional players could play in the Olympics, like you get a lot of that. Like the NBA was pretty much advertising itself mm-hmm. back in the early days as like, we are the world leader for basketball. So people would come there and then go back to their countries for uh, the Olympics. Yeah. And so, yeah, now you have them playing against Spain. <laughs> There was a scene earlier in the documentary where David Stern was talking and then they're like uh, asking David Stern, like, uh, David Stern, do you think it's fair that, you know, um, the U.S. has all the players from the NBA? And he's like, uh, yes, that's very fair. Well, then what are you going to like uh, ban uh, the the um you know, what was it? Kenya's uh, like a marathon team yeah. that they win, they win <laughs> all the time. So I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, okay, so the Olympics is supposed to, was supposed to be for amateurs, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, they used college basketball players at that point, uh, AAU basketball players at that point. But once the world started catching up to this sport that we invented, we had to figure out a way to kind of tilt the scale back in our favor a little bit. Like, okay, well, now that y'all are playing on the level we're playing on, uh, why can't we use, you know, our, our good players? You know, I think they actually... Um, I want to say, and I, I could be making this up, but I want to say that when they changed the rule to allow the NBA, um, like professional players to play in the Olympics, mm-hmm. that some countries were like, like against it in general. They were like, uh, no, because it's not fair to the point where, and I'm I, again, I could be making this up, but I think Russia was like, kind of like putting their foot down and being like, okay, y'all could have two players from the NBA. But nothing more than that. Like, y'all can't do more than that because it's still not fair. But they were overruled. And so eventually the NBA is able to uh, come in, you know, come into the Olympics and be a dominating force for the next few years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see that. But yeah, this is Spain versus the U.S. This is uh, Kobe versus his good friend. And what Kobe does is before the game, he goes and visits Pau Gasol at his apartment. And he's hanging out with him. And he's like, Pau's introducing him as his big brother. And oh, you know, I'm sure the, the team was so happy to see him. And it really warmed Pau's heart. And Co- that's the type of thing Kobe would do, right? He wants to expose your jugular. And so he got Powell kind of thinking like, this is a game against my brother and I don't really want to be playing against him. And maybe mm-hmm. we can, like, it'll be fun. And Kobe tells everybody before the game even starts, I'm going to run through this man's chest. And like, it's not that he says like, I'm going to be physical with Powell, you know, like whatever, or we're going to play like we don't know them people. He says, I'm going to make an example of him on the very first play. And that's what he did. I mean, he completely charged him, knocked him down to the ground and didn't even pick him up. So that's the kind of time Kobe was on. Yeah. Pagasol, I believe he's wearing a Kobe t-shirt uh, to do the interviews <laughs> for this. Yeah, so. it, it's a I mean, they're, they're a great friendship. They really are. But I mean, at that time, Kobe was not trying to have friends. This was not America's next top best friend. Rob. Mm-hmm. This is the Olympics. Yeah. OK, so the 2018, they're doing great. They're like uh, moving through now the quarterfinals. They beat Australia and then they're going to go up against Argentina, the team that beat the 2004 team. Uh, and it was Manu Mania. Yeah, Manu was really good. Um, so one of the things that happens during this time is that, of course, the, this is the first time that uh, this team has been at the Olympics and actually been able to integrate with the rest of the people, right? So the first time they did the Olympics, they were um, 
on the cruise ship, right? Because it was around that, uh, it was post 9-11 and people weren't really happy with the Americans at the time. And there was, there was so they were segregated in a way. Uh, and so this is them like back in the community, uh, like living living life amongst the, uh, the basketball players and really getting a feel for the competitive spirit. So it's no doubt that by the time they got to uh, Manu Mania, they were really have like ready to fight. Uh, and I don't say fight like physically, but they were ready to compete, uh, you know, to the best of their ability. Um, it it is very funny though, because Manu Ginobili uh, was touted as like this great shooting guard, if not the best shooting guard, then at least top two in the league. But unfortunately, that meant that the players on uh, the NBA team were not better than Manu Ginobili, and a lot of them took that personally, as Michael Jordan would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this was they said this was the game that Kobe was the most ready for, uh, and Manu Ginobili ends up coming out with an injury in this game, or was he just scared, Chappelle? No, no, no. I don't think Manu plays scared. He's a, he's a, he's an aggressive basketball player. But what happened was, yeah, he got hurt very early in uh in the first quarter, I believe, or maybe like early, a second quarter, first half, basically. And after that, it seemed like that losing Manu was the thing that just kind of drove the Argentinian team to play so much better because they were down like nine to twenty in the first quarter. And after him, they just made a run. I think uh they were like um. Basically, like like closing the gap on these players uh, so quickly, uh, and it was just because they they had this fighting spirit about them that they were going to do it for Manu. They didn't end up winning, but they put up a good show. Yeah. So it's the night before the big game, the night before the gold medal game, uh, and then there's um, one of the um, you know I I think like uh, certainly super emotional parts of the documentary where uh, it's Kobe Bryant's birthday. And Kobe is there and, you know, he has his daughter with him and the whole team sings happy birthday to Kobe Bryant. Yeah, this is very sad. You know, we know that um, Kobe and his daughter are now deceased. Um, And so it's a tragedy to think about. um, But it's like one of those things that makes the story even better, I guess. You Mm -hmm. know, it's because you like have this heartfelt moment for Kobe who... To, to our knowledge, didn't really have a lot of friends like that um, prior to this whole endeavor with the the Redeem team. And so, yeah, they're able to sing and make this guy loosen up. And, you know, they got some crazy good footage, too, of this, like, moment that will live on in history. And so it was very fun to watch. Um, but again, it was very sad as well. It's kind of like, man, I can't believe it, you know. But uh, this was like the last spark that they needed to propel them into the, uh, the finals when they end up playing against Spain, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we go to the gold medal game uh, versus Spain, and you know, I, it's you know, it's just it's hard to tell, like really, like uh, how back and forth this was, because they paint it as you know this epic struggle. I mean, people in the documentary talk about it as um, Coach K said this game was one of the, the the most tense moments of any of their careers. Um, uh, somebody else says that. Um, it seemed like this was the best basketball being played on the planet. Yeah. I, I felt like that the hyperbole was maybe an overdrive for United States versus Spain in the mm, finals. I don't know about that because if you think about it, um, they had had what eight years of buildup to this point. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're just really trying to come back from this. Like, this is the thing that they, they will come like, that will be like the top of their careers. A lot of them will never reach higher heights than this. Uh, no disrespect to Carmelo Anthony, but this is a, you know, 
uh, being on an Olympic team is like the biggest accolade that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, this is your moment for a lot of them. Um, they've been working so hard and we know what happened last time they lost. They were basically the laughing stocks of the entire country. They they have so much riding on this. A lot of them are already at the top of their games and the top of their sport. Um, so it's like, you can't, you can't now win any more like NBA championships to put you above these people. You have to be able to beat these international teams. You've already beaten, like LeBron James is already winning championships. Um, Kobe Bryant is winning championships. Like these teams are already good. These players are already good. So for them to go up against a team that was putting up a decent fight, it, it had to be scary for them because mm-hmm. it's not that it was back and forth. It was because I don't think the USA lost the lead at any no, point. It got down I to think, two points in the fourth quarter. Yes. 91-89 at one point. Yeah, and that's the thing. So this team that had been beating everybody for by scared. an average of 30 points, Rob, 30-point lead on most of these teams they've been winning against. And now it's slipping away. They're, and, and they're playing badly. Like, there are moments mm. where they're losing momentum, where Spain is never losing momentum. Like, the, the one of Spain's best players gets fouled out of the game, and, he, and they still are within striking uh, distance of the USA. And it's like, why are they still here? I think LeBron says, like, why don't they go away? What, is, what, what do we have to do? Yeah, these, like, uh, LeBron actually said uh, these effers won't go away. Yeah, but I mean, could you imagine? You being LeBron James, you're playing with Kobe Bryant, you have Dwayne Wade, you have your your for, for future teammates and Chris Bosh and these mm. people, and you're just, you're on here, you're doing your thing as the greatest of all time, surrounded by the greatest of all time, and this team from Spain, led by Pau Gasol, is beating you? You're like, what the hell is going on? And I'm beating you, but at least applying pressure in a way that you wouldn't have expected. I think they are so used to winning by a large margin and just knowing that they were the baddest uh, on the, on the court to see somebody so scrappy and with so much enthusiasm, keeping up with them. Yeah. I think the heat was on, um, but they delivered ultimately. I just think that, yeah, I think it probably was as tense as they felt it because losing Spain loses, nothing happens. They go back to be in Spain. They compete again in four years. Mm-hmm. LeBron James loses to Spain. Kobe Bryant loses to Pau Gasol. That's a that's a headline. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Those, yeah. These are things that we talk about for years and years and years. So there was no way this was a non-losing uh, like situation. Nobody yeah. could lose on the USA. All right. So they, they do go on to win. LeBron says it's one of the greatest games that he ever played in. Um, they bring out Doug Collins. They did it for Doug. He did it for you, Doug. He didn't know they, they did were going to do that. He didn't know they were going to do it for Doug, but he hoped they did. And he mm-hmm. was, wasn't he one of the announcers for that particular yes, game? Like, yes. I, I believe. So that's a big surprise. You know, you've been like, in a way, kind of mentoring these people, or at least, you know, establishing a connection with them. He already knew a bunch of the players anyway, but to have them like stop and pay homage to him when they don't have to, it's gotta, it's gotta be kind of dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh celebration ensues. I think uh, LeBron's asking, where, where are the bottles at? Yeah, as he should. You now, know, he has not won bottle. a, uh, NBA championship at this point. No, 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 no. But he's still LeBron James, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, you know, like I said, for a lot of them, this was the height of their career um, at the time. Now, yeah. LeBron James will, uh, of course, go on to do greater things. So will a lot of these players. But this was such a big deal for a lot of these people. Okay. I, I wish I wrote down who said it. Um, somebody says that this is arguably the greatest team in the history of the Olympics. Um, is the 2008 Redeem team considered to be better than the 1992 original dream team. If you were to sort of uh, get the simulation going, who would win? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we can't have that conversation. That's who, listen, people have these, like, uh, these hypotheticals all the time where they try to like pit like the stars of yesteryear versus mm-hmm. the stars of today. And they'll say things like, oh, well, you know, 
Bill Russell was playing against farmers and um, and sharecroppers. And then I'll say Michael yeah. Jordan was playing against mailmen and things, that, things of that nature. And then they'll say LeBron was built different. So he wasn't playing against people. You know, every time mm-hmm. you try to compare this, it really just comes down to people were built different. The game was played differently. Put it on and, the computer, uh, though. No, no, no. I don't think a computer can really factor those. I'm sure the computer can factor it in. Like, don't, if you have that computer, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think that's the thing. Um, but yeah, that dream team in, uh, what was it, in uh, 92, 92, they were demolishing uh, teams. But again, this is prior to these other teams being as competitive, yeah. right? I don't think Argentina has a Manu Ginobili right. in, you know, in well, 1992. That was the thing. It was like in 1992, uh, the dream team really like brought basketball to the world stage uh, like that and really like globalized basketball. And then by, you know, at this point in time, 2008, you know, uh, the the world is sort of like, uh, you know, uh, gr- is uh, producing basketball talent from all over the globe now. And so a lot of these uh, teams have, you know, these, all these, uh, you know, young superstars that have been playing basketball, grew up idolizing all of the stars from the original dream team and are now like playing on the world stage themselves. Yeah. Think about it in survivor terms, survivor Borneo, first of its kind. Right. And you look at these players and you're like, they were building the game. They were creating the game. It was becoming a thing because of Mm -hmm. them. And then you have this winner, Richard Hatch, who did a thing that no one had ever done before. Does that mean Richard Hatch is a worse player than somebody who plays in 42? Probably, right? Because they have more skill sets for the game than mm-hmm. he does at that point. Like at his point, he just had to create an alliance and ride it to the end. But for for them, they're like dealing with all types of advantages and swaps and all this other stuff and having to roll with the punches and create an alliance and ride it to the end in a lot of ways. Um, and, but it doesn't mean that like you can compare the two games, right? Because he only could deal with what he had in front of him and so could they. And so I think because of, you know, the sacrifices that the 1992 made, team made by bringing uh you know the nba into the united states or well into united states basketball globally or whatever um then then you have this team as well like you don't have this team without that team so i think it's unfair to pit them against each other okay that's the redeem team uh, anything else that you want to say uh in summary yeah, I mean, it was a cool documentary. Like I said, it comes from the mind of LeBron and Dwayne Wade. So your results, you know, your mileage may vary, vary depending on how much you know stock you put into the words of those two people. But it was fun. There's a lot of original footage, and it did remind me about how I felt. I guess in 2008 watching uh, the Olympics because I remember thinking that that was the most invested I'd ever been in the Olympics. Oh wow! Not because. Well, not because of basketball, but it was more because of the basketball aspect and the fact that these players were now, they were now spectators, right? I'd never Mm -hmm. seen people that look like me watching tennis, you know? Right. And like, you see like Kobe Bryant and them in the stands rooting for the tennis team, rooting for Michael Phelps, rooting for, and I'm like, so I'm watching all those things too now. And you know, now I watch every Olympic sport. And now I think, yeah, yeah, 2008, that, that, I think that was really like the crazy, like Michael Phelps uh, Olympics that he mm-hmm. really uh, made a big splash. If you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2008, you had Michael Phelps, but then you also have like, you know, uh, the the women's basketball team as well. The vo- volleyball mm-hmm. has been crazy. You know, that there are tons of sports that the United States is dominating, but I would have never paid attention to them until I saw other people who I looked up to at the time watching these games. So yeah, seeing them like kind of being like, yeah, we could go and support these other players and other teams uh, or whatever from the United States. 
then yeah, I think that was kind of like, yeah, I remember that too. Cause now I literally watch every sport as it pops up on the screen for the Olympics. After the Olympics, I no, don't talk to me about any of these other sports, but during the Olympics, I'm there for everything. Okay, Chappelle, let's look ahead to next week on Nothing But Netflix. And we talked about in the opening about how it was spooky season. It was October. Netflix has a lot of spooky things that are going on. And, you know, uh, we talked about the monsters last week. I think it's time to dive back into something spooky. Okay, what are you thinking? So one of the things that's sort of on our radar is The Watcher. Um, we really, um, I, I think I, I would like to talk about that at some point, but I think it's really up for, uh, you know, we don't know about the runtime on the watcher. I think there's seven episodes, but I heard it was a little bit more like a movie. So I think that we're going to hold off on the watcher and wait to see, you know, if it would be a good, nothing but Netflix show, but there is a more family friendly movie, a spooky movie coming to Netflix. Chappelle, can I interest you in The Curse of Bridge Hollow? Uh, go on. Okay. Marlon Wayans stars as a Halloween-hating dad who reluctantly teams up with his teenage daughter when an evil spirit wreaks havoc by making their town's decorations come to life. Now, this sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. This sounds like nothing but Netflix material. Um, it does sound family friendly, but it also sounds absurd. And so I think we'd have a good time watching watching it. Uh, Marlon Wayans is hilarious a lot of times in the movies. That he's in. Not, not all the time. Mm -hmm. I think your, uh, you know, results may vary. But uh, yeah, I think this would be fun. Uh, like you said, it's for the family. We'll have a good time talking about it. Unless someone has a better suggestion. I think they could still, you can still make suggestions to us, guys. You can just uh, tweet at nothing but RHAP and let us know what you want us to talk about. But I think for now, this is a good choice for spooky season. Okay. The Curse of Bridge Hollow coming next week to Nothing But Netflix. All right. Um, Chappelle. Mm-hmm. What's coming up for you? Chilling. You know, it's oh. spooky season. So I'm still talking about The Walking Dead on post-show recaps. It's the spookiest show that I'm talking about that right is, now. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a Halloween episode of uh, Abbott Elementary coming up soon. And so I'll be talking about that on Post Your Recast with Gia Worthy. I'm still talking about Never Have I Ever with Sasha Joseph on the Never Have I Ever by Silent Podcast podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think I will be guesting on the White Lotus podcast oh. uh, on Post Your Recaps or the the <laughs> White Lotus Post Your Recap on Post Your Recaps with Ariel and uh, Dr. Amanda Rabinowitz. Um, and I think as I'm going to be joining the BoJack Horse Pod pretty soon talk about Tuca and Birdie. And so uh, it's a lot going on for me. Uh, but, you know, same place, same time, all that good stuff. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'll tweet out, you know, all those links. And you can still catch me on Poster Recaps talking about um, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You know, we're wrapping up that as well. So, you know, a lot going on. But, you know, I'm still here hanging out with you. Okay. Well, so fun to get back together this week. Talk through everything from the Redeem team. No redemption necessary for us because it was another great podcast here on as we head into year two of Nothing But Netflix. First of two podcasts tonight for me as I'm talking about something else on Netflix. The Mole, which came back five episodes dropped this week. I will be joining the Mole Patrol crew for a recap of week one of The Mole on Netflix, Chappelle. 
Yes, I watched the first episode of The Mole and I was not impressed, but oh, I watched the second episode yeah. of The Mole and I, I was so happy. Third yeah. episode, fourth episode. Yes. Yeah, I'm down for The Mole Patrol. I, I think it's very fun that uh, my r- real quick uh, logline is like um, that this does not at all feel like uh, a spiritual successor to the original Mole. It feels like this is just like a completely different show that borrowed its title. Uh, there's, I feel like, very l- little like connective tissue going back to uh, the original show. Still fun. Yeah, this, this is the same concept, but it's not your mom and dad's mole. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get the, like, the, the cheesy spy gags that we got in the past. Uh, you don't get Anderson Cooper, even though some of us really love that iteration of the mole, but this is not that. However... What you do get from this is great TV a lot of times. Uh, like I yeah. said, the first episode, for me, I was really going to do it. I almost didn't watch the second episode. Yeah. But listen, Chappelle approves. If you go to the second episode, the third episode, you are good to go. Just, uh, you know, stick with us here. And so, right. uh, and check out the Mall Patrol podcast. I'm going to be listening to. All right. Check out our week one recap of the Mall and come back next week for The Curse of Bridge Hollow. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.